Chapter 19 The Conquest of the Witch Now as soon as the conquest of King Cruel had taken place, one of the orcs had been dispatched to Pon's house with joyful news. At once Gloria and Pon and Trot and Button Bright hastened toward the castle. They were somewhat surprised by the sight that met their eyes, for there was the scarecrow crowned king, and all the people kneeling humbly before him. So they likewise bowed low to the new ruler, and then stood beside the throne. Cap'n Bill, as the gray grasshopper, was still perched upon Trot's shoulder, but now he hopped to the shoulder of the scarecrow and whispered into the painted ear, "'I thought Gloria was to be Queen of Jinxland.' The scarecrow shook his head. "'Not yet,' he answered. "'No queen with a frozen heart is fit to rule any country.' Then he turned to his new friend, the Ark, who was strutting about, very proud of what he had done, and said, "'Do you suppose you and your followers could find old Blinky the witch?' "'Where is she?' asked the Ark. "'Somewhere in Jinxland, I'm sure.' "'Then,' said the Ark, "'we shall certainly be able to find her.' "'It will give me great pleasure,' declared the Scarecrow. "'When you have found her, bring her here to me, "'and I will then decide what to do with her.' The Ork called his followers together and spoke a few words to them in a low tone. A moment after they rose into the air, so suddenly that the Scarecrow, who was very light in weight, was blown quite out of his throne and into the arms of Pon, who replaced him carefully upon his seat. There was an eddy of dust and ashes, too, and the Grasshopper only saved himself from being whirled into the crowd of people by jumping into a tree, from where a series of hops soon brought him back to Trot's shoulder again. The orcs were quite out of sight by this time, so the Scarecrow made a speech to the people and presented Gloria to them, whom they knew well already and were fond of, but not all of them knew of her frozen heart. And when the Scarecrow related the story of the wicked witch's misdeeds, which had been encouraged and paid for by Cruel and Googly-Goo, the people were very indignant. Meanwhile the fifty orcs had scattered all over Jinxland, which is not a very big country, and their sharp eyes were peering into every valley and grove and gully. Finally one of them spied a pair of heels sticking out from underneath some bushes, and with a shrill whistle to warn his comrades that the witch was found, the orc flew down and dragged old Blinky from her hiding-place. Then two or three of the orcs seized the clothing of the wicked woman in their strong claws, and, lifting her high in the air, where she struggled and screamed to no avail, they flew with her straight to the royal castle and set her down before the throne of the scarecrow. "'Good!' exclaimed the straw man, nodding his stuffed head with satisfaction. "'Now we can proceed to business. "'Mistress Witch, I am obliged to request gently but firmly "'that you undo all the wrongs you have done by means of your witchcraft.' "'Pah!' cried old Blinky in a scornful voice. 
I defy you all. By my magic powers, I can turn you all into pigs, rooting in the mud. And I'll do it if you're not careful. I think you are mistaken about that, said the scarecrow. And rising from his throne, he walked with wobbling steps to the side of the wicked witch. Before I left the land of Oz, Glinda the royal sorceress gave me a box, which I was not to open except in an emergency. But I feel pretty sure that this occasion is an emergency, don't you, Trot? he asked, turning toward the little girl. Why, we've got to do something, replied Trot seriously. Things seem in an awful muddle here just now, and they'll be worse if we don't stop this witch from doing more harm to people. That is my idea exactly, said the Scarecrow. Taking a small box from his pocket, he opened the cover and tossed the contents toward Blinky. The old woman shrank back, pale and trembling, as a fine white dust settled all about her. Under its influence she seemed, to the eyes of all observers, to shrivel and grow smaller. Oh, dear, oh, dear, she wailed, wringing her hands in fear. Haven't you the antidote, Scarecrow? Didn't the great sorceress give you another box? She did, answered the Scarecrow. Then give it to me, quick, pleaded the witch. Give it to me, and I'll do anything you ask me to. You will do what I ask first, declared the Scarecrow firmly. The witch was shriveling and growing smaller every moment. Be quick, then, she cried. Tell me what I must do and let me do it, or, or it will be too late. You made Trot's friend, Cap'n Bill, a grasshopper. I command you to give him back his proper form again, said the Scarecrow. Oh, where is he? Where's the grasshopper? Quick, quick, she screamed. Cap'n Bill, who had been deeply interested in this conversation, gave a great leap from Trot's shoulder and landed on that of the Scarecrow. Blinky saw him alight and at once began to make magic passes and to mumble magic incantations. She was in a desperate hurry, knowing that she had no time to waste, and the grasshopper was so suddenly transformed into the old sailor man Captain Bill that he had no opportunity to jump off the scarecrow's shoulder. So his great weight bore the stuffed scarecrow to the ground. No harm was done, however and the straw man got up and brushed the dust from his clothes, while Trot delightedly embraced Cap'n Bill. "'The other box! Quick, give me the other box!' begged Blinky, who had now shrunk to half her former size. "'Not yet,' said the Scarecrow. "'You must first melt Princess Gloria's frozen heart.' "'I can't! It's an awful job to do that! I can't!' asserted the witch in an agony of fear, for still she was growing smaller. "'You must,' declared the Scarecrow firmly. The witch cast a shrewd look at him and saw that he meant it. So she began dancing around Gloria in a frantic manner. The princess looked coldly on, as if not at all interested in the proceedings, while Blinky tore a handful of hair from her own head and ripped a strip of cloth from the bottom of her gown. 
Then the witch sank upon her knees, took a purple powder from her black bag, and sprinkled it over the hair and cloth. I hate to do it, I hate to do it, she wailed, for there is no more of this magic compound in all the world, but I must sacrifice it to save my own life. A match, give me a match, quick. And panting from lack of breath, she gazed imploringly from one to another. Cap'n Bill was the only one who had a match, but he lost no time in handing it to Blinky, who quickly set fire to the hair and the cloth and the purple powder. At once a purple cloud enveloped Gloria, and this gradually turned to a rosy pink color, brilliant and quite transparent. Through the rosy cloud they could all see the beautiful princess standing proud and erect. Then her heart became visible, at first frosted with ice, but slowly growing brighter and warmer until all the frost had disappeared and it was beating as softly and regularly as any other heart. And now the cloud dispersed and disclosed Gloria, her face suffused with joy, smiling tenderly upon the friends who were grouped about her. Poor Pon stepped forward, timidly fearing a repulse, but with pleading eyes and arms fondly outstretched toward his former sweetheart, and the princess saw him, and her sweet face lightened with a radiant smile. Without an instant's hesitation, she threw herself into Pon's arms, and this reunion of two loving hearts was so affecting that the people turned away and lowered their eyes, so as not to mar the sacred joy of the faithful lovers. But Blinky's small voice was shouting to the Scarecrow for help. The antidote, she screamed. Give me the other box, quick! The Scarecrow looked at the witch with his quaint painted eyes and saw that she was now no taller than his knee, so he took from his pocket the second box and scattered its contents on Blinky. She ceased to grow any smaller, but she could never regain her former size, and this the wicked old woman well knew. She did not know, however, that the second powder had destroyed all her power to work magic, and seeking to be revenged upon the scarecrow and his friends, she at once began to mumble a charm so terrible in its effect that it would have destroyed half the population of Jinxland had it worked. But it did not work at all, to the amazement of old Blinky. And by this time the Scarecrow noticed what the little witch was trying to do and said to her, Go home, Blinky, and behave yourself. You are no longer a witch, but an ordinary old woman. And since you are powerless to do more evil, I advise you to try to do some good in the world. Believe me, it is more fun to accomplish a good act than an evil one, as you will discover when once you have tried it." But Blinky was at that moment filled with grief and chagrin at losing her magic powers. She started away toward her home, sobbing and bewailing her fate, and not one who saw her go was at all sorry for her. End of chapter 19 Chapter 20 Queen Gloria 
Next morning the Scarecrow called upon all the courtiers and the people to assemble in the throne room of the castle, where there was room enough for all that were able to attend. They found the straw man seated upon the velvet cushions of the throne, with the king's glittering crown still upon his stuffed head. On one side of the throne, in a lower chair, sat Gloria, looking radiantly beautiful and fresh as a new-blown rose. On the other side sat Pon, the gardener's boy, still dressed in his old smock-frock, and looking sad and solemn, for Pon could not make himself believe that so splendid a princess would condescend to love him when she had come to her own and was seated upon a throne. Trot and Captain Bill sat at the feet of the Scarecrow, and were much interested in the proceedings. Button Bright had lost himself before breakfast, but came into the throne room before the ceremonies were over. Back of the throne stood a row of the great orcs, with their leader in the center, and the entrance to the palace was guarded by more orcs, who were regarded with wonder and awe. When all were assembled, the Scarecrow stood up and made a speech. He told how Gloria's father, the good King Kind, who had once ruled them and been loved by everyone, had been destroyed by King Fierce, the father of Pan, and how King Fierce had been destroyed by King Cruel. This last king had been a bad ruler, as they knew very well, and the Scarecrow declared that the only one in all Jinxland who had the right to sit upon the throne was Princess Gloria, the daughter of King Kind. But, he added, it is not for me, a stranger, to say who shall rule you. You must decide for yourselves, or you will not be content. So choose now who shall be your future ruler. And they all shouted, The Scarecrow, the Scarecrow shall rule us which proved that the stuffed man had made himself very popular by his conquest of King Cruel, and the people thought that they would like him for their king. But the Scarecrow shook his head so vigorously that it became loose, and Trot had to pin it firmly to his body again. "'No,' said he, "'I belong to the land of Oz, where I am the humble servant of the lovely girl who rules us all.' the royal Ozma. You must choose one of your own inhabitants to rule over Jinxland. Who shall it be? They hesitated for a moment, and some few cried, Pon! But many more shouted, Gloria! So the Scarecrow took Gloria's hand and led her to the throne, where he first seated her and then took the glittering crown off his own head and placed it upon that of the young lady, where it nestled prettily amongst her soft curls. The people cheered and shouted then, kneeling before their new queen, but Gloria leaned down and took Pon's hand in both her own, and raised him to the seat beside her. "'You shall have both a king and a queen to care for you, and to protect you, my dear subjects.' she said in a sweet voice, while her face glowed with happiness. For Pan was a king's son before he became a gardener's boy, and because I love him, he is to be my royal consort. 
that pleased them all, especially Pon, who realized that this was the most important moment of his life. Trot and Button Bright and Cap'n Bill all congratulated him on winning the beautiful Gloria, but the Ork sneezed twice and said that in his opinion the young lady might have done better. Then the Scarecrow ordered the guards to bring in the wicked, cruel King no longer, and when he appeared, loaded with chains and dressed in fustian, the people hissed him and drew back as he passed, so their garments would not touch him. Cruel was not haughty or overbearing any more. On the contrary, he seemed very meek, and in great fear of the fate his conquerors had in store for him. But Gloria and Pon were too happy to be revengeful, and so they offered to appoint Cruel to the position of gardener's boy at the castle, Pon having resigned to become king. But they said he must promise to reform his wicked ways, and to do his duty faithfully, and he must change his name from Cruel to Gruel. All this the man eagerly promised to do, and so when Pon retired to a room in the castle to put on princely raiment, the old brown smock he had formerly worn was given to Gruel, who then went out into the garden to water the roses. The remainder of that famous day, which was long remembered in Jinxland, was given over to feasting and merrymaking. In the evening there was a grand dance in the courtyard, where the brass band played a new piece of music called the Ark Trot which was dedicated to our glorious Gloria, the Queen. While the Queen and Pon were leading the dance, and all the Jinxland people were having a good time, the strangers were gathered in a group in the park outside the castle. Cap'n Bill, Trot, Button Bright, and the Scarecrow were there, and so was their old friend, the Ork. But of all the great flock of Orks which had assisted in the conquest, but three remained in Jinxland, besides their leader, the others having returned to their own country as soon as Gloria was crowned queen. To the young Ark, who had accompanied them in their adventures, Cap'n Bill said, "'You've surely been a friend in need, and we're mighty grateful to you for helping us. I might have been a grasshopper yet if it hadn't been for you, <laughs> and I might remark that being a grasshopper isn't much fun.' If it hadn't been for you, friend Ark, said the Scarecrow, I fear I could not have conquered King Cruel. No, agreed Trot, you'd have been just a heap of ashes by this time. And I might have been lost yet, added Button Bright. Much obliged, Mr. Ark. Oh, that's all right, replied the Ark. Friends must stand together, you know, or they wouldn't be friends. But now I must leave you and be off to my own country, where there's going to be a surprise party for my uncle, and I've promised to attend it. Dear me, said the Scarecrow regretfully, that is very unfortunate. Why so? asked the Ork. I hoped you would consent to carry us over those mountains into the land of Oz. My mission here is now finished, and I want to get back to the Emerald City. "'How did you cross the mountains before?' inquired the Ork. "'I scaled the cliffs by means of a rope and crossed the great gulf on a strand of spider-web. Of course I can return in the same manner, 
but it would be a hard journey, and perhaps an impossible one, for Trot and Button Bright and Cap'n Bill. So I thought that if you had the time, you and your people would carry us over the mountains and land us all safely on the other side in the land of Oz. The Ark thoughtfully considered the matter for a while. Then he said, I mustn't break my promise to be present at the surprise party. But tell me, could you go to Oz tonight? What, now? exclaimed Trot. It's a fine moonlit night, said the Ark, and I've found in my experience that there's no time so good as right away. The fact is, he explained, it's a long journey to Arkland, and I and my cousins here are all rather tired by our day's work. But if you will start now and be content to allow us to carry you over the mountains and dump you on the other side, just say the word, and off we go. Cap'n Bill and Trot looked at one another questioningly. The little girl was eager to visit the famous fairyland of Oz, and the old sailor had endured such hardships in Jinxland that he would be glad to be out of it. It's rather impolite of us not to say good-bye to the new king and queen, remarked the Scarecrow, but I'm sure they're too happy to miss us. And I assure you, it will be much easier to fly on the backs of the arks over these steep mountains than to climb them as I did. All right, let's go, Trot decided. But where's Button Bright? Just at this important moment, Button Bright was lost again, and they all scattered in search of him. He had been standing beside them just a few minutes before. But his friends had an exciting hunt for him before they finally discovered the boy seated among the members of the band, beating the end of the bass drum with the bone of a turkey leg that he had taken from the table in the banquet room. Hello, Trot, he said, looking up at the little girl when she found him. This is the first chance I ever had to pound a drum with a regular drumstick, and I ate all the meat off the bone myself. Come quick, we're going to the land of Oz. Oh, what's the hurry? said Button Bright. But she seized his arm and dragged him away to the park where the others were waiting. Trot climbed upon the back of her old friend, the Ark Leader, and the others took their seats on the backs of his three cousins. As soon as all were placed and clinging to the skinny necks of the creatures, the revolving tails began to whirl, and up rose the four monster arks and sailed away toward the mountains. They were so high in the air that when they passed the crest of the highest peak it seemed far below them. No sooner were they well across the barrier than the arks swooped downward and landed their passengers upon the ground. "'Here we are, safe in the land of Oz!' cried the Scarecrow joyfully. "'Oh, are we?' asked Trot, looking around her curiously. She could see the shadows of stately trees, and the outlines of rolling hills. Beneath her feet was soft turf, but otherwise the subdued light of the moon disclosed nothing clearly. "'Seems just like any other country,' was Captain Bill's comment. "'But it isn't,' the Scarecrow assured him. You are now within the borders of the most glorious fairyland in all the world. 
This part of it is just a corner of the Quadling country, and the least interesting portion of it. It's not very thickly settled around here, I'll admit, but... He was interrupted by a sudden whirr and a rush of air as the four arcs mounted into the sky. Good night, called the shrill voices of the strange creatures. And although Trot shouted good night as loudly as she could, the little girl was almost ready to cry because the arcs had not waited to be properly thanked for all their kindness to her and to Cap'n Bill. But the arcs were gone and thanks for good deeds do not amount to much except to prove one's politeness. "'Well, friends,' said the Scarecrow, "'we mustn't stay here in the meadows all night, so let us find a pleasant place to sleep. Not that it matters to me in the least, for I never sleep, but I know that meat people like to shut their eyes and lie still during the dark hours.' "'I'm pretty tired,' admitted Trot, yawning as she followed the straw man along a tiny path. "'So if you don't find a house handy, Cap'n Bill and I will sleep under the trees, or even on this soft grass.' But a house was not very far off, although when the scarecrow stumbled upon it there was no light in it whatever. Cap'n Bill knocked on the door several times, and there being no response, the Scarecrow boldly lifted the latch and walked in, followed by the others. And no sooner had they entered than a soft light filled the room. Trot couldn't tell where it came from, for no lamp of any sort was visible, but she did not waste much time on this problem, because directly in the center of the room stood a table set for three, with lots of good food on it, and several of the dishes smoking hot. The little girl and Button Bright both uttered exclamations of pleasure, but they looked in vain for any cook-stove or fireplace, or for any person who might have prepared for them this delicious feast. "'It's Fairyland,' muttered the boy, tossing his cap in a corner, and seating himself at the table. "'This supper smells most as good as that turkey-leg I had in Jinxland.' Please pass the muffins, Cap'n Bill. Trot thought it was strange that no people but themselves were in the house, but on the wall opposite the door was a gold frame bearing in big letters the word WELCOME. She had no further hesitation in eating the food so mysteriously prepared for them. But there are only places for three, she exclaimed. Three are quite good enough said the Scarecrow. I never eat, because I am stuffed full already. But I like my nice clean straw better than I do food. Trot and the Sailor Man were hungry and made a hearty meal, for not since they had left home had they tasted such good food. It was surprising that Button Bright could eat so soon after his feast in Jinxland, but the boy always ate whenever there was an opportunity. If I don't eat now, he said, the next time I'm hungry I'll wish I had. Really, Cap'n, remarked Trot, when she found a dish of ice cream appear beside her plate, I believe this is fairyland, sure enough. There's no doubt of it, Trot, he answered gravely. I've been here before, said Button Bright, so I know. After supper they discovered three tiny bedrooms adjoining the big living room of the house, and in each room was a comfortable white bed with downy pillows. 
you may be sure that the tired mortals were not long in bidding the Scarecrow good night and creeping into their beds, where they slept soundly until morning. For the first time since they set eyes on the terrible whirlpool, Trot and Cap'n Bill were free from anxiety and care. Button Bright never worried about anything. The Scarecrow, not being able to sleep, looked out of the window and tried to count the stars. End of chapter 20 Chapter 21 Dorothy, Betsy, and Ozma I suppose many of my readers have read descriptions of the beautiful, magnificent Emerald City of Oz, so I need not describe it here, except to state that never has any city in any fairyland ever equaled this one in stately splendor. It lies almost exactly in the center of the land of Oz, and in the center of the Emerald City rises the wall of glistening emeralds that surrounds the palace of Ozma. The palace is almost a city in itself, and is inhabited by many of the ruler's especial friends, and those who have won her confidence and favor. As for Ozma herself, there are no words in any dictionary I can find that are fitted to describe this young girl's beauty of mind and person. Merely to see her is to love her for her charming face and manners. To know her is to love her for her tender sympathy, her generous nature, her truth and honor. Born of a long line of fairy queens, Ozma is as nearly perfect as any fairy may be, and she is noted for her wisdom as well as for her other qualities. Her happy subjects adore their girl ruler, and each one considers her a comrade and protector. At the time of which I write, Ozma's best friend and most constant companion was a little Kansas girl named Dorothy, a mortal who had come to the land of Oz in a very curious manner, and had been offered a home in Ozma's palace. Furthermore, Dorothy had been made a princess of Oz, and was as much at home in the royal palace as was the gentle ruler. Next to Ozma she was loved better than anyone in all Oz, for Dorothy was simple and sweet, seldom became angry, and had such a friendly, chummy way that she made friends wherever she wandered. It was she who first brought the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman and the Cowardly Lion to the Emerald City. Dorothy had also introduced to Ozma the Shaggy Man and the Hungry Tiger, as well as Belina the Yellow Hen, Eureka the Pink Kitten, and many other delightful characters and creatures. Coming as she did from our world, Dorothy was much like many other girls we know, so there were times when she was not so wise as she might have been at other times when she was obstinate and got herself into trouble. But life in a fairyland had taught the little girl to accept all sorts of surprising things as matters of course. For while Dorothy was no fairy, but just as mortal as we are, she had seen more wonders than most mortals ever do. 
Another little girl from our outside world also lived in Ozma's palace. This was Betsy Bobbin, whose strange adventures had brought her to the Emerald City, where Ozma had cordially welcomed her. Betsy was a shy little thing and could never get used to the marvels that surrounded her, but she and Dorothy were firm friends and thought themselves very fortunate in being together in this delightful country. One day Dorothy and Betsy were visiting Ozma in the girl ruler's private apartment, and among the things that especially interested them was Ozma's magic picture set in a handsome frame and hung upon the wall of the room. This picture was a magic one because it constantly changed its scenes and showed events and adventures happening in all parts of the world. Thus it was really a moving picture of life. And if the one who stood before it wished to know what any absent person was doing, the picture instantly showed that person with his or her surroundings. The two girls were not wishing to see anyone in particular on this occasion, but merely enjoyed watching the shifting scenes, some of which were exceedingly curious and remarkable. Suddenly Dorothy exclaimed, Why, there's Button Bright! And this drew Ozma also to look at the picture, for she and Dorothy knew the boy well. Who is Button Bright? asked Betsy, who had never met him. Why, he's the little boy who is just getting off the back of that strange flying creature, exclaimed Dorothy. Then she turned to Ozma and asked, What is that thing, Ozma? A bird? I've never seen anything like it before. It's an ark, answered Ozma for they were watching the scene where the Ark and the three big birds were first landing their passengers in Jinxland after the long flight across the desert. "'I wonder,' added the girl ruler musingly, "'why those strangers dare venture into that unfortunate country which is ruled by a wicked king. "'That girl and the one-legged man seem to be mortals from the outside world,' said Dorothy." The man isn't one-legged, corrected Betsy. He has one wooden leg. It's almost as bad, declared Dorothy, watching Captain Bill stump around. They are three mortal adventurers, said Ozma, and they seem worthy and honest, but I fear they will be treated badly in Jinxland, and if they meet with any misfortune there, it will reflect upon me for Jinxland is a part of my dominions. "'Can't we help them in any way?' inquired Dorothy. "'That seems like a nice little girl. I'd be sorry if anything happened to her.' "'Let us watch the picture for a while,' suggested Ozma. And so they all drew chairs before the magic picture, and followed the adventures of Trot and Cap'n Bill and Button Bright. Presently the scene shifted and showed their friend the Scarecrow crossing the mountains into Jinxland, and that somewhat relieved Ozma's anxiety, for she knew at once that Glinda the Good had sent the Scarecrow to protect the strangers. The adventures in Jinxland proved very interesting to the three girls in Ozma's palace, who during the succeeding days spent much of their time in watching the picture. It was like a story to them. "'That girl's a regular trump!' exclaimed Dorothy, referring to Trot. And Ozma answered, "'She's a dear little thing, 
and I'm sure nothing very bad will happen to her. The old sailor is a fine character, too, for he has never once grumbled over being a grasshopper, as so many would have done. When the scarecrow was so nearly burned up, the girls all shivered a little, and they clapped their hands in joy when the flock of orcs came and saved him. So it was that when all the exciting adventures in Jinxland were over, and the four orcs had begun their flight across the mountains to carry the mortals into the land of Oz, Ozma called the wizard to her and asked him to prepare a place for the strangers to sleep. The famous wizard of Oz was a quaint little man who inhabited the royal palace and attended to all the magical things that Ozma wanted done. He was not as powerful as Glinda, to be sure, but he could do a great many wonderful things. He proved this by placing a house in the uninhabited part of the Quadling country, where the Orks landed Cap'n Bill and Trot and Button Bright, and fitting it with all the comforts I have described in the last chapter. Next morning Dorothy said to Ozma, "'Oughtn't we to go meet the strangers so we can show them the way to the Emerald City?' I'm sure that little girl will feel shy in this beautiful land, and I know if t'was me I'd like someone to give me a welcome. Ozma smiled at her little friend and answered, You and Betsy may go to meet them if you wish, but I cannot leave my palace just now, for I am to have a conference with Jack Pumpkinhead and Professor Wogglebug on important matters. You may take the sawhorse and the red wagon, and if you start soon, you will be able to meet the Scarecrow and the strangers at Glinda's palace. Oh, thank you, cried Dorothy, and went away to tell Betsy and to make preparations for the journey. End of chapter 21 Chapter 22 The Waterfall Glinda's castle was a long way from the mountains, but the Scarecrow began the journey cheerfully, since time was of no great importance in the land of Oz, and he had recently made the trip and knew the way. It never mattered much to Button Bright where he was, or what he was doing. The boy was content in being alive and having good companions to share his wanderings. As for Trot and Cap'n Bill, they now found themselves so comfortable and free from danger in this fine fairyland, and they were so awed and amazed by the adventures they were encountering, that the journey to Glinda's castle was more like a pleasure trip than a hardship. So many wonderful things were there to see. Button Bright had been in Oz before, but never in this part of it, so the Scarecrow was the only one who knew the paths and could lead them, they had eaten a hearty breakfast, which they found already prepared for them and awaiting them on the table when they arose from their refreshing sleep. So they left the magic house in a contented mood and with hearts lighter and more happy than they had known for many a day. As they marched along through the fields, the sun shone brightly and the breeze was laden with delicious fragrance, for it carried with it the breath of millions of wildflowers. At noon, when they stopped to rest by the bank of a pretty river, Trot said with a long-drawn breath that was much like a sigh, 
I wish we'd brought with us some food that was left from our breakfast, for I'm getting hungry again. Scarcely had she spoken when a table rose up before them, as if from the ground itself, and it was loaded with fruits and nuts and cakes and many other good things to eat. The little girl's eyes opened wide at this display of magic, and Cap'n Bill was not sure that the things were actually there and fit to eat until he had taken them in his hand and tasted them. But the Scarecrow said with a laugh, "'Someone is looking after your welfare, that is certain, and from the looks of this table I suspect my friend the wizard has taken us in his charge. I've known him to do things like this before, and if we are in the wizard's care you need not worry about your future.' "'Who's worrying?' inquired Button Bright, already at the table and busily eating. The Scarecrow looked around the place while the others were feasting, and, finding many things unfamiliar to him, he shook his head and remarked, "'I must have taken the wrong path back at that last valley, for on my way to Jinxland I remember that I passed around the foot of this river where there was a great waterfall.' "'Did the river make a bend after the waterfall?' asked Cap'n Bill. "'No. The river disappeared. Only a pool of whirling water showed what had become of the river, but I suppose it is underground somewhere, and will come to the surface again in another part of the country.' "'Well,' suggested Trot as she finished her luncheon, "'as there is no way to cross this river, I suppose we'll have to find that waterfall and go around it.' "'Exactly.' replied the Scarecrow. So they soon renewed their journey, following the river for a long time, until the roar of the waterfall sounded in their ears. By and by they came to the waterfall itself, a sheet of silver dropping far, far down into a tiny lake which seemed to have no outlet. From the top of the fall where they stood, the banks gradually sloped away, so that the descent by land was easy, while the river could do nothing but glide over an edge of rock and tumble straight down to the depths below. "'You see,' said the Scarecrow, leaning over the brink, "'this is called by our Oz people the Great Waterfall, because it is certainly the highest one in all the land. But I think—help!' He had lost his balance and pitched head-foremost into the river. They saw a flash of straw and blue clothes, and the painted face looking upward in surprise. The next moment the scarecrow was swept over the waterfall and plunged into the basin below. The accident had happened so suddenly that for a moment they were all too horrified to speak or move. "'Quick! We must go to help him or he will be drowned!' Trot exclaimed. Even while speaking, she began to descend the bank to the pool below, and Cap'n Bill followed as swiftly as his wooden leg would let him. Button Bright came more slowly, calling to the girl, "'He can't drown, Trot. He's a scarecrow.' But she wasn't sure a scarecrow couldn't drown, and never relaxed her speed until she stood on the edge of the pool with the spray dashing in her face. Cap'n Bill, puffing and panting, had just voice enough to ask as he reached her side. See him, Trot? Not a speck of him. Oh, Cap'n, what do you suppose has become of him? 
I suppose, replied the sailor, that he's in the water, more or less far down, and I'm afraid it'll make his straw pretty soggy. But as for his being drowned, I agree with Button Bright that it can't be done. There was small comfort in this assurance, and Trot stood for some time, searching with her eyes the bubbling water, in the hope that the scarecrow would finally come to the surface. Presently she heard Button Bright calling, Come here, Trot. And, looking around, she saw that the boy had crept over the wet rocks to the edge of the waterfall, and seemed to be peering behind it. Making her way toward him, she asked, What do you see? A cave, he answered. Let's go in. Perhaps we'll find the scarecrow there. She was a little doubtful of that, but the cave interested her, and so did it Cap'n Bill. There was just space enough at the edge of the sheet of water for them to crowd in behind it, but after that dangerous entrance they found room enough to walk upright, and after a time they came to an opening in the wall of rock. Approaching this opening, they gazed within it and found a series of steps cut so that they might easily descend into the cavern. Trot turned to look inquiringly at her companions. The falling water made such a din and roaring that her voice could not be heard. Cap'n Bill nodded his head, but before he could enter the cave, Button Bright was before him, clambering down the steps without a particle of fear, so the others followed the boy. The first steps were wet with spray and slippery, but the remainder were quite dry. A rosy light seemed to come from the interior of the cave, and this lighted their way. After the steps there was a short tunnel, high enough for them to walk erect in, and then they reached the cave itself, pausing in wonder and admiration. They stood on the edge of a vast cavern, the walls and domed roof of which were lined with countless rubies, exquisitely cut and flashing sparkling rays from one to another. This caused a radiant light that permitted the entire cavern to be distinctly seen, and the effect was so marvelous that Trot drew in her breath with a sort of gasp and stood quite still in wonder. But the walls and roof of the cavern were merely a setting for a more wonderful scene. In the center was a bubbling cauldron of water, for here the river rose again, splashing and dashing, till its spray rose high in the air, where it took the ruby color of the jewels and seemed like a seething mass of flame. And while they gazed into the tumbling, tossing water, the body of the scarecrow suddenly rose in the center, struggling and kicking, and the next instant wholly disappeared from view. "'My, but he's wet!' exclaimed Button Bright, but none of the others heard him. Trot and Cap'n Bill discovered that a broad ledge, covered like the walls with glittering rubies, ran all around the cavern. So they followed this gorgeous path to the rear, and found where the water made its final dive underground, before it disappeared entirely. Where it plunged into this dim abyss, the water was black and dreary-looking, and they stood gazing in awe until just beside them the body of the scarecrow again popped up from the water. End of chapter 22
Chapter 23 The Land of Oz The straw man's appearance on the water was so sudden that it startled Trot, but Cap'n Bill had the presence of mind to stick his wooden leg out over the water, and the scarecrow made a desperate clutch and grabbed the leg with both hands. He managed to hold on until Trot and Button Bright knelt down and seized his clothing, but the children would have been powerless to drag the soaked scarecrow ashore had not Cap'n Bill now assisted them. When they laid him on the ledge of rubies, he was the most useless looking scarecrow you can imagine. His straw sodden and dripping with water, his clothing wet and crumpled, while even the sack upon which his face was painted had become so wrinkled that the old jolly expression of their stuffed friend's features was entirely gone. But he could still speak, and when Trot bent down her ear, she heard him say, Get me out of here as soon as you can. That seemed a wise thing to do, so Cap'n Bill lifted his head and shoulders, and Trot and Button Bright each took a leg. Among them they partly carried and partly dragged the damp scarecrow out of the ruby cavern, along the tunnel and up the flight of rock steps. It was somewhat difficult to get him past the edge of the waterfall, but they succeeded after much effort, and a few minutes later laid their poor comrade on a grassy bank where the sun shone upon him freely, and he was beyond the reach of the spray. Cap'n Bill now knelt down and examined the straw that the scarecrow was stuffed with. "'I don't believe it'll be of much use to him any more,' said he. "'For it's full of pollywogs and fish eggs, and the water has took all the crinkle out of the straw and ruined it. I guess, Trot, that the best thing for us to do is to empty out all his body and carry his head and clothes along the road till we come to a field or a house where we can get some fresh straw.' "'Yes, Cap'n,' she agreed. "'There's nothing else to be done. But how shall we ever find the road to Glinda's palace without the Scarecrow to guide us?' "'That's easy,' said the Scarecrow, speaking in a rather feeble but distinct voice. "'If Cap'n Bill will carry my head on his shoulders, eyes front, I can tell him which way to go.' So they followed that plan and emptied all the old wet straw out of the Scarecrow's body. Then the sailor-man wrung out the clothes and laid them in the sun till they were quite dry. Trot took charge of the head and pressed the wrinkles out of the face as it dried, so that, after a while, the scarecrow's expression became natural again, and as jolly as before. This work consumed some time, but when it was completed, they again started upon their journey. Button Bright carrying the boots and hat, Trot the bundle of clothes, and Cap'n Bill the head. The scarecrow, having regained his composure, and being now in a good humor, despite his recent mishaps, beguiled their way with stories of the land of Oz. It was not until the next morning, however, that they found straw with which to restuff the scarecrow. That evening they came to the same little house they had slept in before, only now it was magically transferred to a new place. The same bountiful supper as before was found smoking hot upon the table, 
and the same cozy beds were ready for them to sleep in. They rose early, and after breakfast went out of doors, and there, lying just beside the house, was a heap of clean, crisp straw. Ozma had noticed the scarecrow's accident in her magic picture, and had notified the wizard to provide the straw, for she knew the adventurers were not likely to find straw in the country through which they were now traveling. They lost no time in stuffing the scarecrow anew, and he was greatly delighted at being able to walk around again and to assume the leadership of the little party. "'Really,' said Trot, "'I think you're better than you were before, for you are fresh and sweet all through and rustle beautifully when you move.' "'Thank you, my dear,' he said gratefully. "'I always feel like a new man when I'm freshly stuffed. No one likes to get musty, you know.' and even good straw may be spoiled by age. "'It was the water that spoiled you the last time,' remarked Button Bright, "'which proves that too much bathing is as bad as too little. But after all, Scarecrow, water is not as dangerous for you as fire.' "'All things are good in moderation,' declared the Scarecrow. "'But now let us hurry on, or we shall not reach Glinda's palace by nightfall.' End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 The Royal Reception At about four o'clock of that same day, the red wagon drew up at the entrance to Glinda's palace, and Dorothy and Betsy jumped out. Ozma's red wagon was almost a chariot, being inlaid with rubies and pearls, and it was drawn by Ozma's favorite steed, the wooden sawhorse. "'Shall I unharness you?' asked Dorothy. "'So you can come in and visit?' "'No,' replied the sawhorse. "'I'll just stand here and think. Take your time. Thinking doesn't seem to bore me at all.' "'What will you think of?' inquired Betsy. "'Of the acorn that grew the tree from which I was made.' So they left the wooden animal and went in to see Glinda, who welcomed the little girls in her most cordial manner. "'I knew you were on your way,' said the good sorceress, when they were seated in her library, "'for I learned from my record-book that you intended to meet Trot and Button Bright on their arrival here.' "'Is the strange little girl named Trot?' asked Dorothy. "'Yes, and her companion, the old sailor, is named Cap'n Bill.' I think we shall like them very much, for they are just the kind of people to enjoy and appreciate our fairyland, and I do not see any way at present for them to return again to the outside world. Well, there's room enough here for them, I'm sure, said Dorothy. Betsy and I are already eager to welcome Trot. It will keep us busy for a year at least, showing her all the wonderful things in Oz. Glinda smiled. "'I have lived here many years,' said she, "'and I have not seen all the wonders of Oz yet.' Meanwhile the travelers were drawing near to the palace, and when they first caught sight of its towers, Trot realized that it was far more grand and imposing than the king's castle in Jinxland. The nearer they came, the more beautiful the palace appeared, and when finally the Scarecrow led them up the great marble steps, 
Even Button Bright was filled with awe. I don't see any soldiers to guard the place, said the little girl. There is no need to guard Glinda's palace, replied the Scarecrow. We have no wicked people in Oz that we know of, and even if there were any, Glinda's magic would be powerful enough to protect her. Button Bright was now standing on the top steps of the entrance, and he suddenly exclaimed, Why, there's the sawhorse and the red wagon. Hip, hooray! And next moment he was hurrying down to throw his arms around the neck of the wooden horse, which good-naturedly permitted this familiarity when it recognized in the boy an old friend. Button Bright's shout had been heard inside the palace, so now Dorothy and Betsy came running out to embrace their beloved friend, the Scarecrow, and to welcome Trot and Cap'n Bill to the Land of Oz. "'We've been watching you for a long time in Ozma's magic picture,' said Dorothy, "'and Ozma has sent us to invite you to her own palace in the Emerald City. I don't know if you realize how lucky you are to get that invitation,' but you'll understand it better after you've seen the royal palace and the Emerald City. Glinda now appeared in person to lead all the party into her azure reception room. Trot was a little afraid of the stately sorceress, but gained courage by holding fast to the hands of Betsy and Dorothy. Cap'n Bill had no one to help him feel at ease, so the old sailor sat stiffly on the edge of his chair and said, uh, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, when he was spoken to, and was greatly embarrassed by so much splendor. The Scarecrow had lived so much in palaces that he felt quite at home, and he chatted to Glinda and the Oz girls in a merry, light-hearted way. He told all about his adventures in Jinxland and at the Great Waterfall, and on the journey hither, most of which his hearers knew already, and then he asked Dorothy and Betsy what had happened in the Emerald City since he had left there. They all passed the evening and the night at Glinda's palace, and the sorceress was so gracious to Cap'n Bill that the old man, by degrees, regained his self-possession and began to enjoy himself. Trot had already come to the conclusion that in Dorothy and Betsy she had found two delightful comrades— and Button Bright was just as much at home here as he had been in the fields of Jinxland, or when he was buried in the popcorn snow of the land of Mo. The next morning they arose bright and early, and after breakfast bade good-bye to the kind sorceress, whom Trot and Cap'n Bill thanked earnestly for sending the scarecrow to Jinxland to rescue them. Then they all climbed into the red wagon. There was room for all on the broad seats, and when all had taken their places, Dorothy, Trot, and Betsy on the rear seat, and Cap'n Bill, Button Bright, and the Scarecrow in front, they called, Get up! to the sawhorse, and the wooden steed moved briskly away, pulling the red wagon with ease. It was now that the strangers began to perceive the real beauties of the Land of Oz, for they were passing through a more thickly settled part of the country, and the population grew more dense as they grew nearer to the Emerald City. Everyone they met had a cheery word or a smile for the Scarecrow, Dorothy, and Betsy Bobbin, 
and some of them remembered Button Bright and welcomed him back to their country. It was a happy party indeed that journeyed in the red wagon to the Emerald City, and Trot already began to hope that Ozma would permit her and Cap'n Bill to live always in the Land of Oz. When they reached the great city, they were more amazed than ever, both by the concourse of people in their quaint and picturesque costumes, and by the splendor of the city itself. But the magnificence of the royal palace quite took their breath away, until Ozma received them in her own pretty apartment, and by her charming manners and assuring smiles made them feel they were no longer strangers. Trot was given a lovely little room next to that of Dorothy, while Cap'n Bill had the coziest sort of room next to Trot's and overlooking the gardens. And that evening Ozma gave a grand banquet and reception in honor of the new arrivals. While Trot had read of many of the people she then met, Cap'n Bill was less familiar with them, and many of the unusual characters introduced to him that evening caused the old sailor to open his eyes wide in astonishment. He had thought the live scarecrow about as curious as anyone could be, but now he met the tin woodman, who was all made of tin even to his heart, and carried a gleaming axe over his shoulder wherever he went. Then there was Jack Pumpkinhead, whose head was a real pumpkin with a face carved upon it, and Professor Wogglebug, who had the shape of an enormous bug, but was dressed in neat-fitting garments. The professor was an interesting talker, and had very polite manners, but his face was so comical that it made Cap'n Bill smile to look at it. A great friend of Dorothy and Ozma seemed to be a machine man called Tick-Tock, who ran down several times during the evening and had to be wound up again by someone before he could move or speak. At the reception appeared the Shaggy Man and his brother, both very popular in Oz, as well as Dorothy's Uncle Henry and Aunt Em, two happy old people who lived in a pretty cottage near the palace. But what perhaps seemed most surprising to both Trot and Cap'n Bill was the number of peculiar animals admitted into Ozma's parlors, where they not only conducted themselves quite properly, but were able to talk as well as anyone. There was the cowardly lion, an immense beast with a beautiful mane, and the hungry tiger, who smiled continually, and Eureka the pink kitten, who lay curled upon a cushion and had rather supercilious manners and the wooden sawhorse, and nine tiny piglets that belonged to the wizard, and a mule named Hank, who belonged to Betsy Bobbin. A fuzzy little terrier dog named Toto lay at Dorothy's feet, but seldom took part in the conversation, although he listened to every word that was said. But the most wonderful of all to trot was a square beast with a winning smile, that squatted in a corner of the room and wagged his square head at everyone in quite a jolly way. Betsy told Trot that this unique beast was called the Woozy, and there was no other like him in all the world. 
Cap'n Bill and Trot had both looked around expectantly for the Wizard of Oz, but the evening was far advanced before the famous little man entered the room. But he went up to the strangers at once and said, I know you, but you don't know me, so let's get acquainted. And they did get acquainted in a very short time, and before the evening was over Trot felt that she knew every person and animal present at the reception, and that they were all her good friends. Suddenly they looked around for Button Bright, but he was nowhere to be found. "'Dear me!' cried Trot. "'He's lost again!' "'Never mind, my dear,' said Ozma, with her charming smile. "'No one can go far astray in the land of Oz. And if Button Bright isn't lost occasionally, he isn't happy.'" End of Chapter 24 End of The Scarecrow of Oz by L. Frank Baum This book read by Phil Chenevere, April 2014, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thank you for listening.